0: So one of our efforts through the panel discussion was to try to take some of the concepts and exposition that we've heard. Um, you've heard some great application through those sermons. Uh, but Just kind of to kinda give it more feet as we um, think about how it applies in our life. And I know one of the things for me panel discussions have always done uh, is to benefit from the wisdom of, of those that participate. And uh, we have a, a ton of wisdom represented on this panel. Um, Matthew, thank you. Brother. That was a great job earlier, uh, just taking a very tough passage and uh, giving us a demonstration of how to walk through a passage like that. Um, and pray for Matthew. He's preaching on Hebrews on Sunday morning. and so. Um, but your, your exposition there definitely demonstrates a lot of preparation and a lot of time spent, and so I certainly appreciate that. Um, and that's not to take anything away from, uh, from Brother Phil and Brother Jim and what they did for us. Um, so I think one of the things about Jude, we might look at this call to contend, For the faith, and look at it as simply, I guess, wrestling against the world. But when we look a little further, what we realize is that those people are present in the church. Um, So, brothers, talk to us a little bit about you know, you all represent many years in pastoral ministry. Um, I guess, what's a representation that maybe you've seen uh, one of the most difficult situations maybe you've had to deal with in the pastorate with someone who definitely uh, fell into this category? Um, and how how did you handle it? Um, what did you go with it?
1: We we had a, a man and his wife started visiting church. They were probably in their fifties or so. It's been years ago, and he, a, he he had been at a good church in town, not a SBC church, but a really good church in town. And he was from a very wealthy family. I mean, very wealthy family. So you know what you do as a pastor. You got a guy coming from a good church, comes from a wealthy family, you think, hmm, maybe good for budget time. All right, you know, there there's the flesh on it. Well, the guy came came for, I don't know, a couple of Sundays, he and his wife, so I went over to visit with him, and I had a two-hour visit, and I probably talked maybe 15 minutes out of it, and I thought, hmm, something, something's bothering me. And so he had... He'd been to Oxford and, you know, travel around. He could travel anywhere he wanted to. So he'd been to Oxford and studied with, he named some folks he'd studied with. I thought, yeah, okay, you know, glad you could. And, and, and then we, we were talking theological things, and he kept talking about Jesus Christ, monogamous, you know, only begotten, Jesus Christ, monogamous. And I thought, okay, yeah, he he is the only begotten. Well, as it turned out, the more the more I listened to and the more I thought about it, I thought this guy's Arian, and and so he was coming to a Sunday school class. He and his wife. That one of the other elders and I were teaching, and we we're going through First John. So fortunately, the First John, you know, if you're taking a little bit of Greek, you can do First John. So I just brought my Greek text in. This guy had his interlinear, and I thought I'm I'm steps ahead of him on this and And so I just work it, it he would try to steer the class into heresy. And so I just stayed after it, and he left and um And then he went to a Presbyterian friend of my uh church, and I warned him about it. <laughs> I said, you got to deal with him now." Uh, but he I mean the, the guy's well healed. And you would think he knew better. I mean, he went to a church that had some significant, good, good, faithful preaching. And the the church he had left, I, I talked with a pastor, and he said, we we had trouble dealing with him. And he said, y- y'all dealt with him better than we did because we called his hand just to just let him know, no, you're out of line. You're you're uh, teaching outside biblical orthodoxy, or you're speaking that way. We're not going to have it. So, And I, I think... The lesson I learned on that, and we had to deal with another guy later on, his heresy wasn't quite as bad, but still, he was still out of line. But you've got to be tenacious. You be kind. be I mean, you, you did such a good job reminding us of that. You don't have to be contentious and ugly and have a throwdown, but you don't budge, and, and you lay into it. And, um, and I think the Lord used that and protected us,
0: so do you think in that sense, um, and then we can you know, hear what you guys have to say as well, but do you think in that sense that he was very aware that he was coming in with a teaching that was much different from the church, or do you think that he was more just ill-informed himself and, and just kind of outspoken?
1: No, I think he was quite aware he was different, but he was arrogant. And and all that, you know, it's been pointed out, the arrogance goes with, with heretical teaching. And I mean, we... We saw it. Tommy and I were talking about that with some of our experience at New Orleans years and years ago. And and they're they're arrogant arrogant people and they think I'm right, you know, I've got this and and you know, he he knew a little bitty bit about Greek and and that and I mean he really didn't know much. Yeah. And and he didn't understand the the flow of um church history he didn't understand historical theology. And, but there was enough arrogance, and I think his wealth affected him. So he thought, you know, I'm, I'm from a family that could buy out most of the churches here and buy their buildings and give them away. I mean, literally. Right. And um, he, it, he just he was so big on himself. I, I, I thought it was bodacious, myself.
2: We all know. There we go. Uh, so, I've only been pastoring like eight or nine years, and have a couple men in this room i pastor with at, at Emmanuel Community Church. So maybe they'll be like, "Wait, you're forgetting one." But even as I was looking at this question, by God's grace, I, we haven't really like experienced any kind of like heretical like teaching. Just that has been kind of spread through like uh, the church. But I think like um, people have seen us as a healthy church in their mind and something they're looking for and we have attracted some people and this is something i think it's not just true at emmanuel but happens in other places of christianity and you know we have these doctrinal statements on what we believe about liberty of conscience and so i think something i've experienced more um uh in the past couple years is just the binding of someone's conscience where god's word doesn't bind their conscience um And so if anything, I've had to – I feel like I've had to, like, confront that more, you know, whether it be something political or just how your family does this. But almost, like, judging other Christians based on, like, if they're not doing this, I don't even think they're a Christian. And just like – which is really dangerous towards the unity of the church. And um, so I I would say, like, that's probably the biggest thing that we have seen. And I'm sure other pastors in here have experienced similar things even, like – uh, just with the political idolatry of our day in, in churches, it, 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 liberty of conscience has been like one of the things where they're treating something in the same manner as like the Trinity. Everything's black and white. There's n- none of this area where we can be charitable on.
3: Just thinking about contending, um, you know, primarily um, my, you know, my um, having to deal with that has been internal. I've mentioned before, when I came here, this church was founded in 1907. So I came in the 80th year sometime. And and so it was well-established and really trained in the arts of war. (laughs) I mean, as far as um, just, you know, the business meeting was the center of the church's solar system. And um, I have mentioned, you know, we had a mass exodus my first Sunday. 120 people left. Not because of me, but because it's just been so fractured for so long. And that was 10 years of hard work. And wondering if I was going to survive all the internal conflict. Especially when you're 28 and you're the only full-time staff member. So in contending, there was... um, You know, just a lot of pressure to conform to um, outward, you know, ideas and thoughts that were, you know, held as dear that weren't really necessarily biblical. And really calling the congregation to obedience to the gospel, preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, and going line by line through the scriptures to establish that as the authority uh, for our faith and practice. And so, um, you know, just dealing with when you're going through Scripture, doctrines come up, and sometimes they're popular and sometimes they're not, and that revealed a lot. Just, are we going to believe this doctrine or not? Uh, well, we don't like it. <laughs> you know, there's not much I can do about that. How are we going to live in light of what this says? Uh, I think something else, too, once, um, you know, establishing the authority of Scripture in the life of the Church and that we're a covenant body that was another instrumental part of uh, the pastorate here for me is really un- trying to teach the church that we're we're bound together by the bonds of of a covenant starting with the new covenant and we have a had a church covenant maybe you do and uh, that became a precious document uh, we blew the dust off of it revised it some of the language was archaic and some of the things we didn't embrace but now you know this is These are biblical goals that we're striving to live by, and uh, with that comes church discipline. So, you know, I think um, uh, just having, I think secondly is just to be really slow to put newcomers into any kind of position, have a thoughtful membership process, not unachievable, but a thoughtful membership process where you're communicating, we're we're covenant membership, and Membership matters. When I first came, I, you know, I think I've mentioned in previous conferences, we had 1,400 members on our roll. We didn't know where 1,000 of them were. That's not good. That's not good for them. That's not good for the gospel. That's not good for the well-being and the reputation of the church. And so that led to a sense of, can you be a member and not attend? Not if you're a covenant membership. We're not wanting to add to the gospel one bit. But this idea of exposing mindsets where people come to church church for many different motivations and reasons. We want to come together to honor Christ. And I think um, being slow to put people, you know, sometimes people come in and show, they show great interest, like the rich young ruler. You know, all those I've kept from my youth up. I'm excited. Um, and they get put in positions of... Influence or leadership or, well, somebody's got to do it. Well, not necessarily. Not until God provides uh, the right kind of leadership where there's a oneness of mind and heart. We have one of the uh, slides where Spurgeon says, um, the most suicidal thing a church can do is compromise on leadership. And so uh, often people come in, and through the years, just several come to mind where, let's make a deal that plays out (coughs) as... Uh, this guy came in and said, you know, my kids, they, they really don't like worship, so we'll just come for Sunday school, and he's bringing donuts, and just uh, this idea that that's acceptable. That's not really understanding church life. If you're, if you're neglecting the gathering of the body and all that comes with that, um, that's a serious problem. So contending, people come into churches without any sense of, of, of a biblical ecclesiology, what it means to be a part of a body. And I think contending and holding that up in our generation um, is an important part to knowing the blessings that I think Christ intends for his church. Um.
0: So kind of thinking through that, you know, one of the quotes maybe we're all familiar with, if you've not heard it, though, that, you know, many pastors underestimate uh, what they can do over the long term and overestimate what they can do short term. Uh, So in this realm of contending, you know, with false teaching and, you know, with, I guess, these, you know, Scoffers you know maybe as the as Jew describes them in the church how do we know when we play the long game versus when it's an immediate threat and we need to deal with
1: it yeah right I on. think if you've got something that is a I mean you use moler's uh, theological triage at this point mm-hmm. if it's a first tier doctrinal issue you've got to deal with it you you just got to deal with it if it's down the line, you know, like if it's a matter of having elder plurality, which I'm definitely big on, don't go split your church by saying we've got to do this because this is biblical. You've got to teach your people first. You've got to teach them how to think biblically. So I think you look like we we had a man that it was a longtime member of the church. And it's a little bit odd. And he would, I, I went to his house to visit with him. And he showed me this big reel-to-reel uh, tape, and he said, "You know, I'm, I play Scripture all night long." Okay. okay, I'd never heard of that, but it, it was almost mystical. Wow. And he, uh, he he got a, a weird view on the work of Christ, and and wrote a small book on it, uh, and self published it. Believe me, no publisher would, would touch it. But self-published it, and he was trying to give it out at church. I went, au contraire. And and so I went through it and showed biblically, theologically, historically how he was out of line. Some of our elders did the same thing. We had multiple conversations, and we forbade him to, to hand that out. You just... You just had to do it because he was dealing with a salvation issue. On the other hand, you know, if people have different views on spiritual gifts, okay, you can work with that. So you want to layer truth. So if it's a first-tier issue, it's essential for the faith, you got to deal with it, and all hands on deck. And if you got fired over it, you get fired over it. If it's a second- or third-tier issue, you've got to layer because the... The key to seeing your church change, I think, is teaching people how to think biblically. And you do that through exposition, good exposition, explaining passages. uh, You do it through small groups. You do it through one-on-one. You're helping people learn how to think biblically. And then a lot of those other issues begin to come together. So
0: So how how did he handle
1: that? How did he receive it? He left. And we actually were going to discipline him. We, we We were right at that point, and he asked to resign his membership and we we accepted it um and the guy the guy died i don't know three or four years after that it really it was very sad uh because I liked him he was, he was a little little bit of an odd person, but I liked the guy I tried to chat with him. We did not let him teach you know he he wanted to be able to teach, but I looked at it and I thought, okay. You study a lot, but you're arrogant. Knowledge puffs up, mm-hmm. and and that's what you. That, that's generally where I've seen the problems. Is it's not that people are are dumb as a fence post and just say bad stuff. No, they've studied and they've read, but they've read some <coughs> bad folks, and they get these ideas in mind and they think they're novel, and and they get arrogant about it. And I think that's one reason we you know like we model humility, like you were saying. We model humility, we teach it, we press it. Uh, that, that's part of this gentleness as the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think the theological triage is helpful. Another thought that came to my mind is like, are they upsetting the faith of some in the church? Are they causing division? Like that, I think that would be the only other time where I like, may want to move quickly to just, and I know this is going back to almost similar what I said in the first, but just protecting the unity of the church.
3: We've mentioned uh, this uh, term, theological triage, and that's something that Albert, Albert Moeller um, presented um, in one of his books. It's on his website, albertmoeller.com, and just uh, search for theological triage. And that can be really helpful, because what, what sort of things should I really you know, make an issue that demand um, full attention? And uh, tier one would be doctrines that we have to believe to be a Christian— we deny them and we're no longer talking about being the Christian faith. Second tier would be issues where there's disagreement among devoted believers, uh, whether it's charismatic gifts or baptism or these type of things to where there's not a resolve and there's a conscience issue and I, I really need to be a Presbyterian or I really need to be a, a Baptist. And we under, that's why there are you know, denominations on these second tier issues, and then third tier are issues within a local church where there can be difference in the body, and that's that's okay. Um, we can live with that, and with it depends on. Sometimes they overlap a little bit, uh, but you know, issues concerning the second coming. Um, Uh, other issues as well, where there may be a a, a tolerance or a a forbearance rather to, um, we can walk together and serve the Lord with these differences in the body. And um, there's peace and joy. And we're not saying they're not important. We must contend to try to understand all the scripture says. But as far as walking together and obeying what Christ has called us to be, we we can do that even with these differences. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's, let's take expository preaching as a given. You all talked about the importance of our preaching in the midst of the church. Um, what would be the next thing that you would say is essential if you want to contend? Um, what, what have you found, at least in your experience in pastoral ministry, uh, that has served the church well from helping guard against some of these issues?
1: I, I think one thing you want to um, get your people reading. I, years ago, there was over gentleman, older brother that a pastor a long time. And he said, if you want to see your church change, get them reading. And in and, you know, t- typical churches, people don't read. And and so you've got to start small. You know, you're not going to give them volume six of John Owen on Sin and Temptation and say, hey, why don't you read this? Uh, but you, you can give them articles, and that's a good thing about it. we got lots of great articles that you can you can download print you know print articles, give them out, do some small books, meet with some guys to to do some reading. I think you'd do that i I use the word layering because you're using different approaches. You're doing the exposition, you're teaching through books during Sunday school. you're having some small group studies. Uh, one thing that I did for a number of years was during the summertime, our adult and teenage uh, group teachers would uh, be prepping for the rest of the year. And I took everybody uh, everybody in that group, put them in, in our worship area, put a bunch of tables out, and we worked through uh, different portions of Scripture. And I, I had... Yeah, commentaries and word studies and all kinds of stuff out spread on tables, and I did a template for them—an interpretive template so that they would uh, they would look at the uh, the uh, uh, grammatical, they looked at the cultural, historical background, they looked at the theological, and, and Christological implications, and they would work through this template, and I would just walk around and watch what they're doing and listen to them and answer questions, then we would summarize at the end. They ended up having a massive impact, and it wasn't a, you know, I didn't have to reinvent the wheel to do it. i just do it out of stuff I'd already been preaching on and and just gather the resources, and that, that was useful.
2: Yeah, I would, and Phil would probably be better to answer this one because he's done it far longer than me, but just um multiply like your discernment and values to the church by investing and raising up um other leaders. Um, you know, we as early as we could, it doesn't look like it does now, like when I started investing in some young men in our church, we have uh, what's called a Timothy track now. It's like a two year um track that we uh take guys through different books, pastoral ministry um we're they're we're, they're actually reading uh bobbing Inch, bobbing's uh, the wonderful works of god this uh this semester and so just uh really trying to just equip because i mean you're only one person and so like when even when it comes to like yeah bring on elders but like the, the more that that we have just even like younger guys in the church and just um that that investment i think it's just proved just really well yep
3: yeah discipling men uh, I think from day one, just making that a priority of ministry every week, I'm meeting with men in one on one or group or small groups. And uh, just uh, we, for years and years, have gone on men's retreats that like the same schedule as this conference <laughs> leave on a Friday night, come back uh, Saturday at, at noon. And that is, uh, I think, um, bore great for, through the years. Uh, to invest in men with all the things you're talking about, thinking biblically and reading and uh, receiving spiritual challenge. And
0: So um, let me mention this. We had two questions submitted. Um, we're going to do those tomorrow, so rest assured that your question is going to get answered. Uh, we'll do those tomorrow because they fit with kind of what we'll be talking about in that. Um, but give me – so let's, let's kind of – I want to pivot two directions. One, first, let's look more personally. Um, what what can we do as pastors personally um, to help our contending? Um, and so, meaning, what personal practice, whether it be devotional or um, you know even academic, what 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 would you say as a helpful, maybe not the most important thing, or but just a helpful thing that we can be doing personally uh, to help our ability to contend? Yeah,
1: we got to keep our hearts warm in in our devotion time, and I, I regularly tell pastors that's. The most important thing for me to uh, to stay focused, to be effective, to walk in the joy of the Lord is to maintain a daily rich devotional time, uh, and and so that that's priority. And then I think we've got to we got to do some good reading. We we need to. I, I love to see what what different people are reading, and it gives me some ideas. Like ooh, I need to work on this and work on that. So I think I think doing good reading. And then the interaction of brothers, getting together and talking through issues, uh, I, that, that has sharpened me so much. I learned so much from... I mean, they, they can be young guys, and I'm, I'm learning from them because they've been thinking in some areas that I just don't think about. So I, I think... I think doing those kind of things—it's you know—if you can do more academic work, that that's great. If you can fit that in, um, I, I ended up going back and doing a degree when I was in my fifties, and I thought I'm going to go for it, and I had an absolute blast doing it. So, yeah.
3: you know, something for me is just actually engaging people with the gospel. Um, my wife and I took a trip recently. And we had such a, a trip around New Zealand. <laughs> it's not just any trip.
0: <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, I uh, hope to go one day. Just uh, in the course, I bet we had 12 gospel conversations in Australia and New Zealand that were just engaging, and about half of them were with Muslims, uh, taxi drivers and Uber, Uber drivers. And uh, to engage them in the gospel, you know, the distinctiveness of Jesus Christ and why he's superior and why we need to look to him, and you know, we actually it's not every day typically in the Christian pastorate where you where you're around that kind of engagement and wanting to be more deliberate with the gospel, wanting to get it out of my mouth, and really responding in real time to objections or struggles from a lost world, yeah to contend in that way and you know just to, to be able to say in the course of a an Uber ride, uh, you know, look to Christ. Look, read the New Testament. His promises are sure. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the living God. He died on the cross for our sins. And getting it out and listening for any objection that may come and contending in that way
2: i it. what to add. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, just uh, amen in terms of like, it's been really helpful for me to just read what other men in the church. And, 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 and it's it's not necessarily like theological things. Like I'm about to read this book uh, called The Two-Parent Privilege by an economist from Maryland. But it's almost kind of reaffirmed, okay, I'm not crazy. Like the way God has ordered the world that you haven't even these, these economists who are looking at like, yeah, kids who come from two parents, they end up doing better, you know, like, so just even just, like, just things that, are like, can kind of stir your thoughts about, you know, what's happening in our world. Um, I've been really helped in, like, membership interviews. Now I still feel young, but it's amazing how much a difference there is between me at 38 and uh, I did a membership interview with a young couple there, and they're, like, 24. And just, and what's the huge difference is that um, she kind of talked about some anxiety that she had in middle school. And then I just followed up, like, with a question just, like, when did the iPhone come out when y'all, and and she she had Instagram as a 12-year-old, and that's when Instagram had first come out. But just kind of, like, listening, and because there's things that I struggle with, like, that challenge my faith, but, it, like, just seeing, like, man, there's people younger than me, and then, and then we need to listen to people older than us. Well, but there's people younger and older than me. They have different struggles when it comes to, like, Contending, you know, for their own faith, and so I don't That's been helpful for me just to just to be reminded. Like people are struggling with different things that that I'm struggling with as I try to fight the good fight.
0: Yeah. So in, in starting to think about this from the, you know, I mean, we've certainly been talking about it from the shepherding perspective, but you know, within that shepherding perspective, Matthew, you and and Jim have both just mentioned. Phil, you alluded to some church discipline earlier. Um, so. Can you walk through with us what what does a church discipline process look like in the midst of your church and you know more um, of the churches you've served um, and how kind of how have you handled that because certainly the you know the criticism against church discipline would be well you know how do you how do you you know hold up the person love them in the midst of this um, where most of the instances of church discipline I've seen are are healthy. <coughs> Um, you know, are uh, at least affirming in the sense that, you know, we want to affirm that the Lord has given us this process to walk through. It is biblical, um, you know, but um, as I saw, you know, in in 1855 at the church I served at in Brookhaven, um, they disciplined for somebody for dancing in town, you know, publicly, um, to which the person responded, I'm sorry, I won't do that anymore. And they didn't excommunicate him from the church. So um, I think that's people's kind of idea of church discipline, yeah. you know, in most cases. So maybe help us, you know, just kind of think through. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific situation, but maybe you'd like to share one uh, just where you felt like it was the, the biblical example held out. It um, was a demonstration of, of the love of God in the midst even of that discipline.
1: Yeah. I think going back to what Jim mentioned, uh, you, you have a covenant. Mm-hmm. for membership. We we did the same thing. And, and we spent time talking about that in the membership process. And you need a membership process so people know what they're getting into. Because so many, I mean, people in my generation, hey, you want to join a Baptist church, walk down the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, answer a couple of questions, you're in. That's it. And so you end up with 1,400 people in church role. Uh, and and so I think we have to have very clear parameters Good distinction on what what is membership, and regularly read the church covenant, so that we're we're. Remi- I wouldn't do it every Sunday, but um, I, the church we're members. We we joined a church plant, and we monthly read the church covenant together, mm-hmm. and and so that that's a good reminder. And then when there's a serious enough breach about it, I think we lovingly patiently, wisely, as gently as we can try to work with them. The the first instance that we had of church discipline where we we had to really work Mm -hmm. through and act on it, um, I don't think I was gentle. It was a really close friend of mine that had been unfaithful to his wife, and I got in his face. Well, I was close enough to him I could get in his face, but that that I would say, that generally, you're not you're not going to be doing that. Um, so, you know, I think you you look for those times. How can I, how can I help them? You know, keep in mind we want we want to see repentance, and we, we don't want this issue to even have to be brought to the church. We want to see them repenting. And and we had some times like that where that happened. Then we had other times where we just had to keep plowing through. And I think doing a long process instead of a short one, unless it's something so egregious that you got to do it. You know, if if there's someone that maybe they do a major criminal act, mm-hmm. I think you've got to go ahead and remove them. Um, one of our churches in our area had to do that recently, and they 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 had to move on it. Uh, but otherwise, I think we. We'd be as long-suffering as we can, in in the process of trying to uh, trying to address it.
3: Yeah, this has been a huge part of our story. Just looking at um, uh, you know the New Testament, all the examples or reasons why Paul uh, exercised church discipline, false doctrine, Alexander and Hymenaeus. Um immorality, the uh, the man who had um, his father's wife, First Corinthians five, factious contentious, divisive people, Titus 3, Um, uh, and so, you know, these are category fives in church life, and um, this happened to us 25 years ago almost, where we're faced with a major moral problem in our church. A leader is involved in immorality, and we've had other issues where that was the case, too, Uh, divisive people that have to be confronted and uh, back then, you, you know, we didn't have any kind of anything developed except Matthew 18. <laughs> and that really is sufficient. And so we gave it our best effort to try to work through these things, crafting a, a more um, a detailed response to things. Uh, but the genius of Jesus' is teaching, that you want to— love covers a multitude of sins, and you're having a, a one-on-one conversation. And um, if the brother says— Gee, thanks. I never saw that. Isn't that the goal? So in a healthy church, that ought to be going on all the time if there's major concerns. But if he says, who do you think you are? I'm feeling a lot of judgment in the room, and I don't like what you're saying to me. Well, you know, if it's sin, we need to get um, one or two others so, to confirm it in, uh, as a witness. And those witnesses are, are going to be able to say, you know, what you're worried about really isn't a sin. You know, or by all means, this is a clear issue in God's word. We're not arguing about hairdos, clothing styles, TV program. We're talking about things that are clearly sins. And to be able to go and confirm that, and um, you you know, if the brother is one to that, you've won your brother, that's the goal. a, A redemptive conversation. But if his response is one of rejection, Jesus said, tell the church, tell the church about it. And if he doesn't listen to the church, treat him as a tax collector, someone in need of evangelism, really, someone um, who needs salvation. Uh, so walking through that, it, that has now become a part of our new member class, that we're a church that practices church, redemptive church discipline, and a covenant understanding that, no, it's not okay for you to be a member here and not come. How can you keep this covenant and not come? Um, So, And I I would argue to knowingly, willingly, deliberately absent yourself in the body of church is not merely a decision. It's a sin, according to Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. And so I know this may sound arbitrary, but if somebody doesn't attend here for six months, how many times do we have to say, you know, we really miss you? And uh, that was one of the real challenges in coming to remove members um, was, you know, for some of our older members, those are my kids. Well, there's no place we would rather them be than than be here. But, you know, they're just not interested. And it's not good for them. It's not good for the gospel. It's not good for the church. And so let us lovingly put them out that they might come back. And that has been fruitful for us. It's not fun, but we go through that process about once a year of because I vowed a vow. I would never be in a situation where we had a thousand people where I didn't know where they were as a, to try to be a faithful pastor.
2: Yeah. No. no, I was just, saying, I think like the membership process at the front is so important. The expectations are clear on what it means to be a member here. And then as we're bringing people in, I think it's just a really beautiful time. We do it during our worship service because we want other people to see it. The vows that people take when they come in and really the church vowing themselves. To these people, but it, I actually, when I think about contending earnestly, like it, when I think about our experience in New Orleans, I feel like I, the first thing that comes to mind are the three church discipline cases we had that went to excommunication. That was so hard because, yeah, two of them were sexual immorality and one of them was in attendance. And um, and one of them that was sexual immorality, is just it was so it was so painful because he would actually talk to me and a couple of our other pastors on the phone. And we would just plead truth with him, truth that, that he would almost like give affirmation to, but like a dog returning to his vomit would just go back. He was living with his girlfriend, and he just, he wouldn't. And we excommunicated him, I think, how long ago, Josh? A year and a half. He still calls me and one of our other pastors like, I don't know, like once every two months or so. Like, it's so... Hoping that that love that we've shown him, like, and I think that's the sad part. The, the 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 only people that he has to call when he's in a hard time is people who had to remove him uh, from the church. It's just it's sad.
3: Yeah, you know, one of the older guys, I, who it is escapes me, but um, I am I reading just uh, one of the most sinister sins is to absent yourself from the body. Mm-hmm. It's a cloak that covers a lot of other stuff. Think about what happens when you just stop coming. No prayer, no word, no, no fellowship. It's a no man's land for a believer. It's a cloak, it's a covering for a lot of other stuff. That's not judgment, it's just an informed discernment of the situation.
1: And in, in no formative discipline, which we're doing every, every time we gather. We're doing formative discipline, we're shaping mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. And
0: that's what strikes me. It seems so much of what we do in contending is a proactive approach. And the recognition, you know, and this kind of goes into the passages I'll get tomorrow, um, you know, don't be surprised. (laughs) You know, this is not, (laughs) you know, know, it was predicted. I mean, it was was said to you, the apostles said it, that this is going to happen. So don't act surprised when you find out it's true. Uh, And so I think even more than that, we should at least be approaching that with the reality that these people are among us. And so we have to set up safeguards. Uh, want to recognize them, but also to try to avoid, if they already are that way, them creeping into the body
3: right. to begin with. And, so. and you know, Chris, talking about these things, this can be a really intimidating conversation because I just remember well when you're having problems in your church, it keeps you awake. It can't. Get, it kept me awake at night. <laughs> I mean, just some issues were just so perplexing and troubling and trying, mm-hmm. and just crying out to the Lord, Lord, help, help us. We long to see your church be the radiant, glorious bride that you wanted to be and um, just struggling with these type of things. So brothers, as you're hearing these things, don't be guided by the word and you know here's the danger though. there's this tension between you know I really you know the danger of walking around with a hammer hitting every nail that you see, that's not what we're advocating at all. There's a, a discernment and a prayer um, and a discernment between I need to wait on the Lord to open some doors here. And the danger of procrastination, where, you know, just I'll pray it goes away, but sin's like leaven. It, it leaven's a whole lump. <laughs> and it let go, it, um, it will cause a lot of problems. And so, I maybe mean, we have a sensitivity to where, no, I need to lovingly confront this.
1: You know, the, the sweet thing is when you're dealing with someone and they, and they repent, and we would deal with them with our elders, and they, they would be repentant followers to Christ. No one in the church knew yep. anything going on, yeah. so that 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 's glorious mm-hmm. and then I, I think of two folks that we disciplined and they were very hard disciplined cases. I remember one of them that we as elders, we just wept, we just all together wept and prayed it was It was so hard and and these two people they weren 't involved with each other, but these two people later on were restored to fellowship they they had moved away but we restored them to fellowship and and they took the lord's supper with us and that was shouting ground for me to to think after going through that hard hard discipline where we we were just crushed just absolutely crushed and and then to see the lord work in that you go thank you jesus thank you
0: well, I think our time is just about up, but I don't want to leave until we at least address at least a picture of this. I think we can get into more of it tomorrow in our panel discussion, but we've talked a lot about contending, and certainly we look at the context of Jude within the church. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the public sphere, um, about, you know, I think part of contending certainly is our witness. Uh, we've talked about evangelism and, you know, the need for uh, us to be talking to others about the gospel. Um, so maybe just, you know, a quick thought on, you know, how do we contend publicly, um, you know, as the pastor of a church within our communities, you know, and, you know, within our, our realms of influence and in those places?
1: Yeah, I think, I think we try to keep the gospel as our focus, which is going to stir up problems in, in conversation and stir up opportunities and, uh, and be willing to graciously respond to those that are, that are maybe rancorous out in the community, that well, you're one of those conservative Christians. You're one of those evangelicals, uh, and just say, "Well, look, let me tell you what we're about," and and not responding in kind, but responding with humility, graciousness, firmness, biblical clarity. I, I you know, some of the the situations I've been in that I think could have been really, really contentious. I, I was reminded by by the Lord, be gracious. Don't don't step in the middle of this. Be gracious, and that seemed to always ease the tension and give opportunity for some real conversation.
2: Yeah, I, I mentioned uh, online ministry uh, earlier, and, and I feel like if I say this, people are like, "Man, he really hates like the internet." But uh, I I think it's important that we would contend more. Uh, for the people who the Lord has put around us physically than taking to the internet. And I think we're more inclined to like take to the internet. Um, and so, uh, one, because like, uh, you know, in, in, our neighborhood, well, there's not just me, but I think about like, we have a, a outreach intern who leads prayer walking, uh, every other Saturday, you know, if people are going to disagree with us, I, I want them to at least know what they're disagreeing about. And so like, um, so we just, Literally, go pray, go to their uh, doorsteps, and try to talk with them about the gospel. So, uh, if they don't like a manual, it, w- it won't be because you know what they think that church is about, but it will be because they know. And and and, and, uh, and so, like I, I think, like and this also goes back to example. I, I want people in our neighborhood to know me as a person. And 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 know my example. Now they may not, you know, like what I stand for. But yeah, I think even going back to First Timothy three, I think there has to be this element that you're respected by outsiders, and you preach the truth. You don't shy away from it.
3: We really uh, value our relationships with our elected leaders, and pray for them every week on Wednesday, First um, Timothy, that we're to pray for those in authority over us, that we might live a quiet and peaceable life in Christ Jesus. And to communicate that to them in tangible terms and develop good, strong relationships and um you know just to engage them, and to write respectful letters when they're doing things that are not not good, politics is a black hole. I'm not talking about politics necessarily, but you in a smaller community like this, you can have closer relationships and and larger but uh, just really careful to avoid uh, political endorsements and I don't want to be known for that kind of engagement. We certainly need to be involved in the political process and vote our conscience, but that's as far as I want to advocate for, uh, yeah. I really want to be known as a Jesus guy, a Jesus man who is committed to the scriptures and is pointing people to him um, as our point of engagement with his community, um, not some alliance that I have elsewhere.
0: well, amen. I think that kind of wraps up our time together tonight. Um, but certainly thank you for, uh, I guess, giving us the benefit of your wisdom uh, on these issues. Uh, I think as we, as we go, we've got a lot to chew on uh, tonight. And um, uh, we're, we're full, I guess, physically, but, but spiritually you should be full um, by what God has given us tonight through his word and um, uh, through these faithful brothers. And so uh, let me close this with a word of prayer. And then I think after that we're dismissed, Jim, unless we have anything else we need to mention. or. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight. Uh, God, we we do give you praise that as we have looked at your word, uh, Father, it addresses so many practical things that we will Lord, walk through uh, as we seek to lead and pastor well. Uh, Lord, to be faithful in the midst of the ministry that you've called us to. Father, as we uh, seek to live in the truth of the gospel, Lord, being reminded of it, God, we thank you that, uh, Lord, our, our ability to persevere does not depend on ourselves but on you. Uh, Father, we certainly, uh, Lord, are given a call toward obedience, uh, but Father, our only hope is not ourselves. God, it is in what you have done for us. God, thank you for the way these brothers have brought that truth out to us tonight, Lord, from your word. God, would you watch over us and keep us safe as we go home, bring us back safely together tomorrow as we continue to, uh, Lord, to be encouraged and challenged and equipped as we seek to be faithful to you in ministry. Father, we praise you and we love you. As we go, Lord, we pray that we might bless others with that love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.